There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Footy Prime, the podcast, presents the Weekend Rap Show with Brendan Dunlop, James Sharman, and Craig Forrest. Zavi to Camp New, will it return Barca to glory? Stevie G looks weird and claret and blue, but brings the W's. Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man City light up the score sheet. And Oli Oli, Oli Oli, hey, hey, goodbye. Let's get this party started. Such a big weekend, we waited until the morning to bring you another edition of Footy Prime. I'm Brendan Dunlop, joined, as always, on this edition of the show by Craig Forrest. How you doing, Craiger? Great. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Well, guys, you, you were really good with these openings, eh? No, sorry. How are you doing? How are you doing? I am great. I am, I am great. I am great. I am prepared, and I never share the rundown with you. Um, but as is the theme, you always let the people know that there is a guest here, and that guest today, thought out from the cold of Edmonton, is James Sharman. Fellas, I missed you. I missed you so, so much that I thought I had to jump on as quickly as possible. Not really a guest. Um, it's weird, though, not hosting. It's weird, like, not introducing. You were gone so long, we're calling you a guest. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It's just it's in the lexicon. Um, yeah, this this will be strange that you have no idea what's coming next. You have no idea where I know. I... Well, you know, quite honestly, I, I don't anyway, even when I'm hosting. I have no idea what's coming next, you dickheads. So That's what makes Footy Prime beautiful, buddy. <laughs> That's what makes it beautiful. Uh, Manchester United fans had no idea what was what was coming next. Here, here they thought for weeks, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time was was out. Surely that embarrassment after losing to Liverpool, the opportunity to get someone as great as Antonio Conte passing them by, and then here the first week after the international break, where it seemed like this was a good window for United to take a break and figure things out, and they get smashed and embarrassed by Watford four one. Yeah, I mean, what a mess at that club right now it's an absolute disaster and it seems there's no plan in place and that's obvious because they could have got Conte like two weeks ago three weeks ago he was sitting there he would have been the, the right guy I think for the job and now that they're, they're you know put Michael Carrick in charge for for a couple of games you know poor Michael Carrick who's trying to build his credentials and it's been a disaster since he you know was Ollie's number two so a real mess the only way it can you know, they, they can salvage anything here is if the rumors are true that Pochettino wants out at PSG and PSG wants Zidane and Zidane wants PSG. If those dominoes fall into place and they get potched, then okay, they can pretend they had a plan, right? Even though they didn't have a plan, it just happened. The convenience of the situation allows them to get potched. So if that works out, that's the right hire, obviously. Beyond that, I don't know who the right guy is who's available. I just Is Alan Kerbishley the right pick? Probably not. <laughs> Tim Sherwood. Hey, what's wrong with Alan Kerbishley? He did all right. He did great. I know, but he hasn't managed in 10 years. No, I know. But he's still on the short list of every job. That's the thing, guys. It's, it's uh, who's available. Timing's not great. What do they do in the meantime? Do they stick with Carrick? The Pochettino thing is interesting. It looks as though he's left that open, that door. So that that's a possibility. And we could see that happen. But other than that, I don't think Zidane's interested in Manchester United, to be honest with you. I'm not even sure Zidane's the right, would be the right choice anyway. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. speak English at all. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's amazing that a guy that's got three Champions League crowns to his name be still isn't that respected as an elite manager, I don't think, in the world game. There's still much to prove there, I think. He's only taken the, the Real Madrid job before. Hasn't gone anywhere else. And his biggest criticism was 
his tactical awareness, right? His tactics were were the biggest thing criticized in that run. He inherited uh, a Champions League caliber team that had had won the Champions League and were flirting and on the cusp of it. And he was just able to pull the strings to to get them there. And I mean, the biggest criticism of Ali was tactically. So it made no sense to me that link. Um, repeatedly feels like now people keep mentioning in the uh, his lack of English, but also the French job will be available after the World Cup, a job that he's in vocal about and wanting to take. And what would United do in that situation? Bring him in for two years? But don't you think, though, PSG is almost a perfect job for him? Because it's so similar to the Real Madrid job in that you're going to be managing egos. That's your job. You know, if yeah. you can do that, you're going to probably win most of your games. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems there's a perfect fit there because if he's not a tactician, okay, but with, with that team at PSG, you can probably still win games without being a great tactician as long as you get all the stars on your side. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think they were right because they're going to probably win that league and they're going to always have a decent run in the Champions League, you'd think. And if they can go on and win it, then uh, all the better. But I don't think that that's a, a challenge like the Man United job at the moment. I mean, Man United's got a great squad of players. I mean, everybody spoke very highly of what was happening in the summer and what was going to happen this year. It hasn't turned out. And at the same time, you look at these players and you go, well, how many managers have they just gone through since Alex Ferguson? And none of them have been able to make a difference. And we've been talking about some really good managers. I mean, David Moyes took over. That was a really difficult situation for him. Look how well he's doing at Manchester United or uh, West Ham United, rather. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Van Howe couldn't get a grip. Mourinho couldn't get a grip. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there has to be more to it than just the manager as well. Oh, there has to be. Uh, Charmin said it off the beginning, like no plan. And th- this has got to be, I know a few pundits have criticized the, the timing. This has to be the worst possible time to be looking for a new manager. There's no top flight guys available. Everyone that we're talking about that might be suited, they have to pay some release clause and negotiate with their club to get them out of it. Every single one. But at the very least, at the very least, you knew what was happening with Oli. You're firing before the international break to give the new guy at least a couple of weeks to kind of prepare, you know, during the international break. They, they say, no, he's our guy. And then the first game back, the player's quitting him, first game back, and, and now they're panicking. I mean, Michael, this is Manchester United, for Christ's sakes. Now, I think it was Jonathan Wilson uh, who said this. He goes, there's only ever actually ever been three good managers at Manchester United three successful managers and that is Matt Busby and Sir Alex and some other guy from freaking 100 years ago if you look at the track records right now they were there for a very long time right and that's why but the track records have not been great ever since that being said the one the one name that keeps coming up to me through this whole post Fergie era is Fergie and that is he's been the guy who's been recommending these managers and hasn't right. planned out. And now we talked about this, being me and you. We argued about this during a podcast um, last few weeks when, when Craig and Deitch weren't there. And have you changed your mind? Do you think Fergie is responsible? Because I was blaming him entirely for, for weathering their predicament for quitting and then for recommending these, these clowns. This will be the telling point because if they are able to get a manager that it's clear is a manager for the long term, then I would say we have to see it out. But what I think is going to happen, and the most telling thing from this Manchester United statement um, yesterday morning in in parting ways with Oli, notice they didn't say sacking, that it was you know a mutual parting of ways, was that they were search, beginning the search for an interim boss as Michael Carrick took over. It's interim. Now, at this point in the season, does that mean you're writing off the entire season? Or do you really not have any viable long-term candidate accessible so you have to begin the search for for an interim person and i was thinking that i wouldn't be surprised if there was some hot shot young portuguese manager that uh is in the mix here someone on the client list of george mendez and the big story uh last night and this morning is the sport sporting boss ruben amarim is the uh is the hot candidate 36 years old and a former teammate of Cristiano ronaldo if united went like that road i would wonder how much influence fergie had in, in that choice. So help me, help me out. Is he really revered in Portugal, this this young guy sporting? Is he like a stud who's going to be the next Jose Mourinho? Not necessarily the next Jose Mourinho because he had a much better playing career. Um, he played for Portugal at the World Cup in 2010. Um, I like him a lot because he was one of the members of Benfica, the only one that did not try to bang my girlfriend that night at the nightclub. <laughs> the only one? So I've always been a really big fan of Ruben Amorim. Um, but he led... <laughs> 
he led sporting to the title uh for the first time you know in in 20 years or the second time in 20 years and uh and he's he's just revered as this kind of new wave guy who who has almost the you know the uh, mindset and uh and the coaching mind of someone like andre village boas is the comparison but he's got the relationship and and the players mentality for having been a successful player and having played at the big clubs why wouldn't you in that case if you're looking for the next big thing in world management a younger guy who's cutting his teeth at in a different league or a different club why not look at graham potter at brighton who's done a remarkable job there playing actually playing kind of the Manchester United way, the fans would accept him, right, from a tactical standpoint. He is a tactician. Do you think they would accept him, though? Well, you know... Do you actually think from, they from would? From a tactical, from, a, from the way his teams play, yes. Now, would they accept him? Probably not. He's not a big enough name, which is That's the thing. probably a statement, perhaps, on the United fans right now. But, I mean, if you're going to go overseas and get some young stud who's done it all, you know, and won something and, and you know, nurturing a young... What he's done at Brighton is great. Why wouldn't you at least look at him in that case? But it's also this weird window that they put themselves in because Ruben Amarim would be a massive gamble for them, but it would show some long-term vision or, or at least that someone else has some influence. Like, I don't think Fergie's making that pick. You know, I think that they're, they're allowing the, those at the table and Mendes and Ronaldo should have a seat at the table in this situation, I think. They would be Ronaldo, allowing, why, why should Ronaldo? Why? Why should he have a seat at the table? Yeah. Because he's the best player that you, you've had in the last 25 years. And he's the only player performing now. He's 36. He's not going to be there long haul, though. Why would, he, why would you ask his opinion on a long haul manager when he's leaving in a couple of years? Well, because as... as You can't ask Ronaldo. He's the most selfish human being in the world. You can't ask him his opinion. Well, this, but this is the whole point. Are they writing off this season and the next? Or are they looking to win the title while he's there? Because I think they believe they're going to win the Champions League while he's there. Craig, did West Ham have a little meeting with Paul De Canio and get his, his thoughts on, on the next manager at West Ham? No, only because he's nuts. <laughs> so is this club. So is this club. It, listen, they might do it, but come on, you can't be asking, okay, hey, Ronaldo, you know, you're a loyal boy. You love us so much. You know, you're going to be here for a long time. What's your <laughs> thoughts? Who should we hire? You can't ask him his opinion. He's a selfish striker. He's a wonderful selfish striker, but... He's thinking about himself, no one else. Bro, I'm not saying it's the right way to go about it. Hey, the goal that they scored against Watford wasn't selfish. Did you see that? He could have headed it himself and he laid it, he cushioned it back across for. Yeah, what a, what a servant for the club. Nothing selfish about that, Charles. <laughs> what a servant for the club. You're right. You're right. I stand corrected. He just missed it. He <laughs> just missed it. It was a, a rare miss and Donny Vandebeek to the rescue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, behind closed doors, having a word with Ronaldo about his thoughts. I think he'd be crazy not to. Yeah. I think he would. I think just, just from the, 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 the side of things where everywhere he's played, the managers he's played under, what he's looking for, what he thinks the club would be looking for, I think his opinion would go an awful long way. Would they make that public? No, I don't think so. But I think it would be worth having a chat with him about what, he, what his thoughts are. But Man United have gone many different ways here, right? They went the Moyes route, then they went the experience. They had the Van Hal, right? Mourinho, then they went to their buddy Oli, who Oli, who basically stuck around because he had a lot of friends and he's very well respected, and that's great. But that's what kept him, I think, through that international break, quite honestly. I think they, they just thought he's gonna somehow turn it around. And Watford, they figured, ah, well, this is gonna it'll be okay and we'll be okay for a few weeks, maybe till the next international break, and then that display. I mean, who was it? I think it was uh Alan Shearer, who mentioned some of these guys are on 200, 300,000 pounds a week and they don't even put a shift in. Like, yeah. not even they're a shift. There was, they, they were pathetic at, at times, Manchester United. Yeah, they were. They've gone every route but the right route so far, right? And maybe Moyes yeah. would have been the right route given more, more patience. I mean, Christ, if they gave Moyes the same patience they gave Oli, he might have figured it out, right? But that's in the past. They haven't done that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I. I <laughs> I don't know what the solution is. I think they really wanted Oli just to do enough to last the summer when there'd be more people available. That's what they were really hoping for. But that's, I mean, what have he, has he been watching the last? So short-sighted. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. I mean, you, you're still expecting this guy to fail. And guess but what? It, he failed. And it's but everything that they've, that they've done. I mean, yeah, expecting him to fail, but eight, eight games into the season, they gave him the extension in July. 
They shot themselves in the foot with that extension, which is also what they did in making him the permanent manager. Because remember, he was brought in as an interim. No one thought yeah. that he was had the credentials. No one thought that he was ready for it. Just, just having you know been in charge of Molda and, uh, and and hadn't earned earned the the big job yet, but had the friends and you know had a had a bit of luck. Right, finished third that the first season. Had a great run. Had a great run. Had a really good run last year at the end, and they and they they set themselves up really for this year when they brought in a couple, and then they're like, all right. We're ready to go. We got the pieces. Yeah. Well, they, they finished what second last year, right? They did finish second last year. Yeah. So second last year. Um. So which is okay, pretty good. But I'm sorry, it's Manchester United. You know, you should be expecting better than second. And quite frankly, if you watched last season, you knew that you weren't actually the second best team. You happened to finish second, right? But there were some other reasons in a very strange season. This team was not, you know, the trajectory was not going upwards even last season. It just wasn't. There was too many issues. It's definitely not now. And that's why I think this appointment will be so interesting and why in the conversation of Ronaldo or someone other than Fergie having a big influence on the short term here is they got a chief executive that's walking out the door, right? Apparently. No one knows when, though. All of these managers, well, I thought it was supposed to be the end of the season. Yeah, well, yeah, apparently, but there's no like firm date, though. So imagine being someone like even Brendan Rodgers, right? Who apparently has an 8 million pound release clause. And I think... That that makes him accessible. If they were to go full full term job, a uh, full time job, and you know look to to make a, a long term appointment here, um, his stock went up because he seems to be more accessible. I think. But would and, you and want? His team's playing so well right now. So yeah, yeah, his team's playing so well right now. Um, I, I know. I, I was saying with Craig, or I think in our group chat, like there's a guy who the the bookies odds for him being sacked have just gone up. And uh, and and much like Dean Smith, he could be in a new job uh, immediately. He'll be plucked out of it. No, he'll be actually he'll be a typical. He'll be a great United Heart. He's so freaking typical, right? Right. He did coach Liverpool, right? And he did okay too, didn't he? I remember. There's no way every there's no way every United fan will ever accept him. Ever accept him? Yeah. Right. It'd be a dumb hire. Even though I think he's a really good manager, it'd be a dumb hire because you just once again you're shooting yourself in the foot. You know, you're giving the fans an excuse, an excuse to not like him and to jump on his on his back the minute things go a little bit shaky. So we've agreed then that this season is a write-off. Yeah, I am. Why don't they just give it to Ronaldo? He coached in the Euro final. <laughs> so this is what I'm saying. This is what this is what I'm saying. And, and uh, before it was Emmerine, someone that with actually a pedigree, I thought it's gonna it's gonna be a client. No, if they are if fellas, you idiots, if they ask him his opinion. That will be, you know what, they, I think you should go hire me. I, I'll, I'll play a coach. Yes. That's what he's going to say. It's Ronaldo. He can do a better job than everyone. So you ask him his opinion. That's what he'll say. Hire me. Done. Hire him. Do it to the end of the year. See what he can amazing, do. Amazing, wouldn't it? It would be amazing to watch. Wouldn't it? Player manager, Ronaldo? I would love it. With the Dalglish. And who was a star striker at Liverpool in the uh, mid-80s, Greg? Kenny Dalglish. Give him the job. <laughs> Championships. Trophies start bleeding from every pore. Well, I'm always disappointed, right? The, the few times we've seen these these player managers that they haven't played themselves, they always remove themselves immediately. Because what what I think Gary Monk did that at Swansea, right? It wasn't a Gary, <laughs> Gary Monk. Monk, I forgot about him. That's right. So the first day, I thought, oh, he's he's actually like st- still going to play, and he was in the trainers, and then he never played again. And I was like, well, wait a second here. That's not really. We're not throwing it back to the old player manager days. And then before the end of the season, he's up there in a suit. Hey, is that a bit like me me accepting my role as, as, a, as a guest on this particular <laughs> podcast? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess that would be it. Um, look, guest today, number one in our hearts and number one on the subscription uh, for anyone who downloads the show. Okay, this is, this is the, the show. The title of this show is Footy Prime by James Sharman for anyone who, who downloads it. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. It's, you know, it's weird that. I don't know why that is. But anyway. By the way, do you, think, do you think it was weird to see Oli jump on MUTV for that interview? To have an exit interview? Yeah, it was kind of weird, wasn't it? Usually they just walk out the door and they get escorted out with their box and the security guard. No, hey, come on over, Ollie. Speak to a camera. They love him. Yeah, because there was a real effort, right, made for this to be not uh, a burning, not a bad exit, that the, the club wanted to make it look like they, they both came to the decision it was the right time to walk away and, and show the respect that obviously you know he hadn't earned in the last little bit and wasn't going to get from the fans right now. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. They didn't want to tarnish uh, his relationship with the fans and uh, also his history with Manchester United as well. There's a lot of respect there, rightly so. Mm-hmm. 
we should mention, by the way, we're, we're recording this podcast, and I haven't yet seen the the press conference today with Carrick and Harry Maguire that they're talking about everything. I'm sure they'll see nothing of any kind of note, but we are aware that it happened today. But we're recording this while that's being. Thanks for that guest, Charms. More than a guest, Charms. <laughs> More than a guest. More than a guest. Harry Maguire sent off, uh, saw red for the fifth time in his career. Um, in that match, too, it just looked like United were about to turn things around. And then Maguire got the red. Is he someone that will keep the captain's armband if, when the new guy comes aboard? Well, no, Ronaldo will get it when he gets the coaching job. He'll give himself the armband. <laughs> captain's armband doesn't matter anyway. You don't think so? Especially at a club like that? No. 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 Because the guy wearing the captain's arm back, the guy actually actually leading can be a different person in the dressing room. Right. Craig, you tell me, is it often the captain is the biggest kiss-ass? He's not necessarily the, the, the greatest leader? <laughs> uh, no. Can it happen? No. No. It's not often that. You know, you, you see that they give it, sometimes they give it to the best player, too, you know. Oftentimes, yeah. Yeah, always on true. the pitch but that's a hockey thing hockey for sure that's what they do right the best player gets the armband yeah or the uh the seat yeah. I should say. yeah and they get the captain's seat at the age of 20 i never understood that yeah exactly well, well because they're gonna earn it they're gonna grow into it well let them grow into it then why, why do they need it at the age of 20 Precisely. yeah i mean man united in their heyday with all their best teams uh you know it didn't matter there's 11 guys out there that could be captain, right? Can you imagine the dressing room when things went sideways? Man United, they call each other out. Oh my, yeah, you know. But they went, they went, well, they went Brian Robson to to Keane, right? I think it was, was it, there was no one in between, was there? I don't think that was it. Pretty good choices, yeah, really, given regardless who was in the, in the room at the time. I guess when, when Keane took over, it was still a pretty young room, right? You know, the class 92, and he, you need. But there were still some veterans there, some some hardcore veterans who were obviously helping Keane. Yeah, Dennis Irwin. He always talks about Dennis Irwin being like a mentor and buddy. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he's super biased because they were Ireland teammates. Um, have you seen the overlaps that Gary Neville does for Sky, where he he goes for a walk essentially with uh, some key figure for an hour? They are mm-hmm. outstanding. He he's went walk, walking the German Shepherds with with Roy Keane through the woods. And yeah. I, I watched him with Carragher for an hour through um, the neighborhood in Liverpool where Carragher grew up. Boodle, um, that was interesting. That that was that was very interesting. Tell you what, Gary Neville going for a walk in Boodle. That's well, it was in the pandemic. It was uh, in the pandemic where there was <laughs> literally why. no one on the streets. That that was why. And he said that he that was the first time he'd ever been to Liverpool, not for football. Really? Eh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Craig, who who is your best captain? Who was was the one guy that stood out? As this is the. He's got all the ingredients to be a great captain, and that's a guy that I truly respect. Well, actually, and a guy that was actually captain? I don't know. I look at a guy like Grant Williams, the Welsh international at Ipswich. Uh, he wasn't even captain, um, but as far as leader goes, he was as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. West Ham, you know, Neil Ruddick. Uh, Stuart Pierce, Nigel Winterburn, good names, eh? Jesus. guys like that in that age age group. Steve Lomas, call people out. You know, like tons of guys, tons of guys that were leading behind the scenes, as opposed to just the guy who wears the armband. It's it's changed so much, obviously, right? But this is what I love about the behind the scenes shows. When I know that Deech has spoken about it. Well, it's different when the cameras are on and people are putting on. And sure, there's a bit of it. But you know who's a leader? I never would have thought in those Man City teams a few years ago that came really came through. And you could tell when he left. Not that they le- it left a hole, but it, it did change for City a little bit. And they had it. They had a, a, a bit of a, a blip. And we wondered, well, who who's the one you know wrangling next in that room? Uh, Fabian Delph. Remember Fabian Delph in that All or Nothing series? He, yeah, that's right. He was really vocal, wasn't he? It kind of it blew me away, and he had the attention of everyone. But it was also he, you know, he spoke like someone who uh, had won everything and deserved to be the one standing mm-hmm. in the middle of the room speaking. Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good example of uh, not really understanding or knowing what's happening behind the scenes or what the captain does or what other players do and what their roles are. Yeah, some guys aren't interested in having the captain of our band either, too. Right? You know, I'm quite happy to lead behind here. I don't need to have that captain's armband for mm-hmm. optics. Yeah, I think Delft too. I mean, there were so many foreign players and new players to the club in that room, and guys that that might have been a little bit shy at first. And Delft was a big personality, also an English boy from the north. Right? You know, probably felt a lot more comfortable in his own skin. 
and allowed him to be that guy. Because, I mean, he, oh, listen, he was a good player, don't get me wrong, but he was never a star at City, ever. No. But, uh, and in fact, he's a bit part player at City, right? But he was able to stand up in that room and people respected him um, for, for the man, not so much as the, the performer on the field in a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, right? If you look at that squad with how deep it is and it doesn't matter how much money they spend on players, um, for anyone who is a fantasy Premier League player, Man City has got to be the most frustrating team to deal with because you never know if your player is going to be in the squad. Someone like Raheem Sterling, who kept Jack Grealish out of England, but it's been the opposite at club level. Oh, oh, and there's, if not Grealish, there's a few other players that have kept Sterling out. He got back in the side and uh, marked his 300th Premier League appearance with a goal against Fabian Delft's Everton. And he's 26, eh? 300, I was gonna... appear- uh, 300 starts, right? Isn't that the starts? Oh, 300 he's 60, starts. And, and I think, well, whatever, whatever it is, regardless, it's impre- he's 26. That was my question. My did you know, boys? How old is Raheem Sterling? Because he's 26. I, I know, I know. I know, guest. You're a great guest. You're going to get our Guest of the Year award, okay? <laughs> Sorry, John Herdman. James Sharman has taken it from you. <laughs> City, again, just shown miles above. But, I mean, I thought it was, it was funny to see both City, Liverpool, and Chelsea just run up the score sheet on this weekend in particular because we knew that the gap between you know those three and everybody else was, was so far. And, you know, Arsenal were in really good form. I think Manchester United were a team that people want to keep in that top five conversation, but those three are just miles above. What a race, say eh, Craig? What a race this year. I mean, if you look at the top three teams, assuming, I mean, listen, with respect to West Ham, they, may, they might be in the conversation for top four, but say it's going to be City, Chelsea, and, and, and Liverpool. I mean, my God, they're three really very good teams, yeah. and it's going to go down to the wire. But I, I don't know if we've, maybe, maybe it's recency bias. I don't know if we've seen three teams this good all at the same time or for quite some time. Mm, yeah, those three teams are at a different level. Liver on this weekend, they showed it, didn't they? And then Arsenal go to, you know, Anfield and they're in a good run, right? Arteta was excited. He was they've been in great form. On the side of the uh, on the pitch, he was trying to get his players all pumped up. But Liverpool were just different class. Different class. Like unbeatable that day. You know, when you you see that and you're going, okay, well, at the end of the day as well, for Arsenal fans, I don't think it's the end of the world for them. They certainly are showing improvement, but boy, that was a statement by Liverpool. Well, I mean, Arsenal, it's, it's, it's also, you know, if you look at who they've beaten the last, I think since that big loss to, to City, I think it was, uh, nine games, they've really well, but there haven't been very many good teams, right? Now, with respect, they, they're getting better. I think Arsenal will be just fine. I like mm-hmm. Arteta, but they've beaten the, the beatable teams in the Premier in that run. Liverpool are missing a bunch of players as well. So I think a uh, statement performance again from from one of the teams in the title race and what I agree with you will be the one of the better title races we've seen in a while. That Manchester City game was something. Uh, talk about all the beauties that get into that squad. And, and Ilkay Gundogan is a player that just walks into the team. Seems like whenever he's healthy, he misses all this time and all of a sudden he shows up on the team sheet. There's not too many guys like that. Joao Cancelo is becoming that guy. Joao Cancelo is a player that needs to be on Pep's team sheet each and every time, and he's proven it, he proved it again in that game. Yeah, is he like the the most unknown superstar in the Prem right now? Because he's been great all year, just just great. And and that pass to Sterling, if I was single, I would probably propose to it. <laughs> it was it was it was that good. I mean, something about something about the outside of the boot, outside of the boot passes. It used to be that I like volleys. That was my go to, you know. I fall in love with volleys. Now I think it's that pass, that kind of pass, you know, when they just, the outside of the boot is so difficult. And someone like myself, who's, you know, obviously just a shit footballer, but I can appreciate the, the technical side of things, that kind of pass, and I would never even consider trying, nor could I ever even come close to accomplishing. I just love it so much. It was so special. You know, and it was, it was not even necessarily like a cross. It was so, it was pretty straight. And the run was perfect to be able to actually execute that on the run outside of the foot. Talking about it before, if you're a quarterback and you got that ball in your hand and you split them open like that we're in the NFL, we'd be talking about what a pass that was, let alone with the outside of the right foot on the move, you know, right into the path of Sterling. Absolutely unbelievable. I couldn't watch it enough. It's just amazing. Different class. Rodgery's goal. Rodri's uh, blast. There was quite quite a few bangers. Uh, two in MLS. Maybe he's the most un- unlikely superstar in the Prem right now. Rodri. He's been brilliant as well. He's maybe been their best player this season. 
and they've been looking for that successor, right? To uh, yeah. Fernandinho. I think they've got it in him. Man, he put his laces through that bad boy, didn't he? Jesus Christ, he just buried it. Uh, the, the, com- the commentator says, if not for the net, that one would still be going. Which is one of my favorite commentator lines. It's not original, but it's brilliant. I just like those ones. Because, man, from a goalkeeping standpoint, Craig, I mean, you saw Pickford, right? And he kind of just like, just, they all, right? you yeah. must have had a few of those in your time. And there's nothing I could do about that drive. Did you watch the United game? Of course, he's had a few of those in his time. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, saved the penalty Craig, in that game. He saved the penalty. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dennis Irwin. Yeah, Dennis Irwin. Have that. <laughs> Two Dennis Irwin mentions on this show. Who saw that coming today? Yeah, exactly. I love Dennis Irwin. Great interview, by the way. He didn't miss many penalties, although he did get the rebound. Fuck. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Save more penalties at Old Trafford than uh, old Pedro Schmeichel. That's like, yeah, exactly. Best stat in football, that, by the way. But Craig, I mean, what would you, what's the best goal to concede as a goalkeeper? Is it like a Rodri, like just sheer power and not even, you know, a robot would save it? Or is it like a curling one that just bends and defies physics? What, what's the one that you would prefer to concede? <laughs> yeah, any goal that's not your fault. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fair enough. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, as soon as that's come off his boot, you know you're beaten. You know the well. You know your your angle so well, and uh, you know when you are beaten. So why bother diving? You very rarely ever go for one at that level. The millions of hours that you put in, and don't know whether you got a shot at it or not. <laughs> you really do. You're just slightly swerving away from them as well. I mean, it's, yeah, some balls, some are unstoppable. I guess it depends on which side of the pitch you know they're attacking on but i feel as though left-sided players left-footed players excuse me their goals perhaps aren't as appreciated as right-footed players um because i think of how many right-footed players end up getting pulled to the left side then they can cut in on that strong foot and you know whip in a, a curling beauty um like ollie watkins did it in steven gerrard's Aston villa mm-hmm. debut and you can just as the fan watching you can see the bend and you know exactly what he's attempting to do and the keeper who, who sprawls out and they're almost always six feet plus it didn't matter if he was seven feet tall like they're not getting that those goals i i really like watching that's probably my uh what did you call your volley equivalent that's what you get off on what was your what's your term for it? essentially i get off on that yeah basically yeah oh, no. <laughs> the ones yeah. that really pissed me off are the ones that you you got you got defenders that aren't marking and they're ball watching and they come in and they have like three options and they just tap it in the empty net. You know, like those are the ones that I really don't like in a seating. Yeah, well, those ones, Craig, I would think when I see those, you got you're pretty pissed off with your defense as well. Like, for Christ's sakes, how did that happen? You know, you you were picked apart. Whereas a long drive like Rodri or a curler, like even the defenders is not really their fault. You know, and unless they they pull out of a block or something, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. the old tic tac toes, like, oh, for Christ's sakes, you idiots, you know, do something. Well, I mean, you can get the ones where are really nicely done, like a tic tac toe, like around a few defenders. And you, you can, it, sometimes you're not going to blame them for that. But if it's simply somebody at the back post that is snuck around because your defender is just glued on the ball and he's not paying attention to what's behind him because the guy behind him is what's important. And not necessarily where the ball is. And that get, that happens a lot, even at the top level. Wasn't that Rudiger's goal for Chelsea this weekend? It's kind of similar to that. I mean, it's a great header. It was a great header, but he just won the battle for the ball. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And strikers are the best strikers. Just have a, a knack to finding that little bit of space. And and then you have the brilliant tacticians that can actually have the vision to find them, yeah. which is another level again. Well, that, that Kyle Laren goal against Canada, you know, let's go back. I'm kind of dating ourselves here. Let's go. That Kyle Laren goal, um, where if you actually watch it in slow motion, he, he is a great goal, right? He kind of pulled off just slightly, just slightly, and then got the tap in, right? And people blame the keeper and stuff, and fair enough. But he, what he did, just pulling off the little nuances that you don't see when you see it first time around, like a really, a really good goal by a good striker. It was a great ball. Like it was dangerous. It was like as soon as the ball is delivered, me and Dunny are watching, and I was like, "That's a great ball!" That's a great... Like I get on the end of it, but at the same time, what's Achoa doing? Oh my god, the ball's traveled thirty-five yards in the air, and Achoa, who has a an amazing reputation for the most part with the national team, yeah, with Mexico, three yards off his line, and he didn't come for it. Maybe that what weather did play a part for him. By the way, the Guardian have a great column today about Jonathan David. So, you know, 
the world is waking up to Canadian football and, and Canadian players. He's being linked with Inter Milan a lot this week, Liverpool as well. He's moving from Lille end of the season, it sounds like, mm-hmm. for a lot of money. And uh, for, for the Guardian... Watch out for Newcastle, too. Just keep an eye out for that. I got a, yeah. I got a feeling they're sniffing around. Interesting. We'd said that on a previous show, too, right? What, what are the types of players that they would be chasing in January? And it's players that you know, would be high-profile, high targets, but maybe not necessarily in January as, as high cost. And there's a guy that I could see them writing a, a 50 million pound check for without thinking twice about it. But they, yeah, but David, I mean, he's playing Champions League football right now. Would he, and money talks, I understand that, and I wouldn't begrudge anyone for following the money. But, I mean, would he, would he be prepared to go to Newcastle, who's going to still somewhat struggle for a while, or go to an Inter Milan or a, or a Liverpool, that next step up? How big a step up is it going from Lille to Newcastle? I mean, it's, it's the Premier League, I understand that. Well, but, the only thing is, with Newcastle, do you want to be part of this building phase that looks pretty exciting? Yeah. And bring success to Newcastle and be that era that brings it to Newcastle. Pretty exciting to be no, part of that. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And the fans will just love you and embrace you. Oh, love you. Love you. But a lot of pressure, too, because you have to deliver. Well, is it better? You tell me, Craig, is it better as a player to go to a, a rebuild that's going to be something probably given the resources? Or is it better to go to uh, Liverpool or Inter Milan where you're already going to be a very good team? And I know Inter's. They're selling off players right now. They can't afford them, strangely enough. But mm. um, you're still going to a storied club with, with recent success, or you're going to Liverpool, potentially, where you're going to be competing for a championship every single year. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the drive? I guess it's, everyone's different, right? Well, sure. But if he goes to Newcastle, he's going to guarantee himself playing time. Yep. If he goes right. to Liverpool or some of these other clubs you're mentioning, I'm not sure that that's a guarantee. Right. Yeah, I thought true. the move to France was a great move for him. I don't know who his agent is and everything, but for playing time, Perfect. I thought that was a really, really good move. There were other Premier League teams interested in him, right? And bigger teams uh, interested in him than had been flirting. West Ham, I think, was, wasn't it, at one point? West Ham was one. Was was Barcelona not one, too, that, had, Maybe. that he was rumored with? I think there, there was a couple other big teams, and it, it, you know, it seemed as though Lille was a, a real strategic decision for him. And I think as far as the Premier League is concerned, that's... That's what Newcastle would be to me. He'd walk into the team. He'd be someone expected to to score goals, but I think someone that would have you know the opportunity outside of the top four spotlight to find his feet a little bit, uh, much like he did at the beginning of Lille. Um, but that's a team that's going to be selling off a lot. The big big rumor is Renato Sanchez will be out in January, or maybe it's just his camp talking. Uh, I think he's in the Mendes camp actually. Um, so, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few. Those little players that uh, that go, we we thought that that would be the case before the season started, right? With the money troubles mm-hmm. in France. One thing you have to remember too: the jump from no disrespect to the French league, but the microscope in the Premier League is on like a different level. Yeah, the pressures yeah. are a different level. The tabloids, the pressures with people, right? The hatred, the you know, it's it's all going to come at them in Newcastle. So you have to be ready for that uh, as well, which is a different level again and we've also seen players come from those types of leagues um and not done well in the premier league not so much the french league so much but air divise the belgium league you know guys have filled the net in those leagues and come over and not done very well so it's a difficult one it's a decision but it all depends on how much he's going to cost and uh, what the price tag is but certainly he's going to be someone that uh, many are looking at they're all looking at him was there much international press there in Edmonton, Charms? I was surprised to see how many of our uh, media friends were actually out there on, on Twitter. But was there was there a, a bigger crowd than you expected? Media? Uh, no, I mean, the entire, well, not the entire, but uh, there's a large contingent of the Canadian soccer media were there. Um, I didn't see too much international. A lot more. Once Mexico arrived, it was a lot more right. media, mm-hmm. a lot of local. Um, yeah, I don't think it's quite captured the global imagination just yet. But uh, maybe moving forward, it will. But yeah, I mean, there was, there was a good amount of us, that's for sure. I know there's been there's been discussions uh, about this uh, Canadian team in Britain on some different shows over there. So they're gaining some attention uh, for sure. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. One thing that surprises me, doesn't it, to you guys? Like in Canada, it's it's like we fucking live on Mars. It's like People here for 
generally, even in the media, they don't understand the magnitude of what's going on. They don't get it. They mm-hmm. really just don't get it. The World Cup. I mean, we're talking about billions and billions. Like, this isn't freaking NHL. This isn't Major League Baseball. The Blue Jays were getting one point what five million audiences for their baseball run. Yeah, come on. They hit two in the playoffs. This is a great question because I just had this conversation yesterday about how big the TV numbers would be, what the ratings would be for a Canada match in Qatar. The women's gold medal game was four point four million on CBC. I feel as though that would be the floor for a men's World Cup appearance. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. You get so much of the mainstream Canadian sports fans, right? Even watching those games, you know, in Edmonton, there weren't that many hardcore football fans there, right? The Voyagers were there, of course. I would say the majority were people taking in a spectacle and hopefully they, they learned, wow, this is something pretty cool. I want to see more of this. And we grow mm-hmm. that way. That's why I hope, because it, it didn't sound like a football crowd. It didn't. There was a lot of go Canada, go chance. Yep. And BMO was louder than Edmonton. Yeah. Right. With half the people. Um, a slightly more sophisticated soccer audience at this point, mm-hmm. right? And a better football, a better football stadium too. A, yeah, for sure, a much better stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we're still in that infancy, but um, yeah. I mean, I think I think is it fifty million you get to qualify for the World Cup or something crazy? You get a lot of money fifty to mm-hmm. qualify for a World Cup, mm-hmm. which would change a lot. And also, that would also unlock corporate Canada as well. There's people out there. I was on uh, Bob McCown's uh, podcast actually last week, and obviously they know the business side of Canadian sports better than most. And, and uh, he was saying that, listen, you know, corporate Canada, that there's always money out there. So they want to spend money. They want to spend money on the right thing. And a World Cup team would be the right thing. So it would change absolutely everything. It's huge, like Craig said there. I hope so, Charms, but I have my doubts. Yeah? I have my doubts. There will be certain ones that will jump on because they think it's going to give them value, uh, exposure. Uh, but generally speaking, the business community in Canada don't have a fucking clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. Sorry, they don't. Right now or over, over the course of the last number of years? Because we haven't oh, had that World Cup team. Well, right? I think we because, of course, if it goes... Like now and in history, it it's embedded in the in the culture of sports here. You know, it's a hockey is part of the fabric of Canada sports, and that you know Canada's hockey is Canada's game goes an awful long way. Um, very very powerful, and the whole structure of corporate Canada, the owners of the teams, and everything else just it just everything feeds toward uh, hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't call basketball our game, but we invented it. Uh, we don't push lacrosse at the same level as we do with hockey. Um, you tell me why. I don't know why, but there's something more to it. The rest of the world can't be wrong and we are right. <laughs> and we've got this game of hockey and you guys are all fucking wrong. And we've got the best game in the world. Can't be true. You can see some holes even in the way corporate Canada invests in hockey. and that's. To me, that's why I could see some doubts and, oh, all of a sudden they're going to get soccer right for the first time. No, there'll be a few of, of these you know, major companies who are, are used to it, who will in, in invest a ton around the World Cup. And hopefully that continues in the infrastructure. There's, you know, there's, there's one big bank that we've been seeing a campaign for for the last few years talking about you know, in, investing in, in the youth for that team. I, th- I think they even say um, you know, t- 2030. Or whatever that uh, 2030 or the 2034 World Cup, and that's kind of been their their campaign as far as investment goes. I think you'll see uh, quite a bit of that, but I'm with Craig and have my doubts that that corporate Canada will really you know jump on board and drive it forward instead of just using the moment to you know get attention for themselves in that World Cup month. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to be the optimist, fellas. I'm going to I I have nothing but great feelings about what's about to happen here if we, if we do end up qualifying for a world cup watch out we're going to take over the world <laughs> oh i thought you I, I didn't know if that was your politician hat like your your posture <laughs> changed although like you're you're clean shaven today you look like you're making cp24 appearances as well no nothing today just yeah. you if, if of the four of us you, you would definitely be ones that would the one that would have dinner with like john tory on a like a weekly basis oh me why me why? That's the mayor of Toronto. You just, you know, you kiss up to the political types. You just seem that. No, I, I, I'm the one that kisses up to freaking Saudi Arabian oil magnets. <laughs> what did you think of the Qatar Grand Prix? That was their first big international show. It was one, right? 
Lewis Hamilton won, yeah. Eight-point uh, difference. There's a soccer point to me bringing this up because David Beckham has been skewered. Did we talk about him on the last show, Craig, about uh, his... We've talked about him on the podcast. I'm not sure whether you were there or not with the, the whole Saudi Arabia, the El Qatar partnership. Is, is, it sign, is it for sure he signed up? So that's what, the, that's what the English papers were all on all weekend because he's been on social media. He had been rather quiet. And uh, in any of his posts, he wasn't tagging where he was. But the rumor was that he was going to be at the Qatar Grand Prix as a friend of Lewis Hamilton, oh. uh, which he was. And the sky cameras were all over it. So, yeah, he's he's going to have a tough time, I think, living living that down. Okay. Yeah, There'll be a few of, that, few of that this year, right? Like, uh, I don't know if you paid attention to the American political stories, but uh, Joe Biden's administration um, are kind of leading this boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, political boycotts. They're still sending the teams, though, right? You know, incredible thing. They'll send their teams there. They complain about human rights and all this. And the Americans, Canadians, and the British sell weapons to these guys. <laughs> I know. It's such hypocrisy. Right? It really is. And then let's just put, let's put the, the athletes on the spot instead. We've got to be careful who we point fingers at. Uh, no, the, athlete, <laughs> the athletes are, um, they're saying, basically, listen, it's, it's easier for us to make a stand while we're there than just not showing up. Right. Which makes sense. At the same time, it's also convenient for them to compete in their chosen Olympic sport. So anyway, I think it's very unfair to expect athletes to get political and, and make stands. If you want to, great, but it's, it's not fair. It's up to our leaders, quotation leaders, to, to do that. From a football perspective, uh, I think we need some new leaders, and you're going to see some new players uh, take a stance in France with what's going on with the violence. Um, you saw the match was abandoned between Marseille and Lyon after uh, Dimitri Payet was hit with a water bottle. And uh, there's been plenty of projectiles thrown, well, it's all over. But in France, it's it's been a regular issue now with uh, abandoned games. Three out of the seven away matches that Marseille have played this year, um, they've been hit by projectiles and have stopped the match momentarily. So the players left the pitch and uh, they didn't come back when the referee demanded they would come back. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's not actual changes to the top literally in the executive uh, team that runs Liga um, with, with removals and replacements. If, um, if this isn't uh, a conversation headed into the next match week about matches not being played. Do they not have cameras? Like in the Premier League, there's cameras all over. CCTV, you mean? Stadiums. Like the, the fans know it. It took a while for them to get used to it back uh, when, they, when they brought them into the, the stadiums. But once they knew they were on camera, and the charges that were thrown at these guys, it ended very, very quickly. In France, I don't think they, they do have the cameras on the fans, and it's harder to police this. Mm. What gets me is that Dimitri Payet, twice this season now, he's been involved in a, in a water bottle incident. Because remember earlier in the season, someone threw one at him, and then he threw it back? Yes. And now he's been hit by one. Trying to say that maybe he, deser- maybe he deserves it? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> mm. If, if they're targeting Payet, though, I mean, there's some guy out there with a great arm, right? Accuracy. I mean, Craig, you've been, you know, you've been bombarded by bottles and bags in the past, right? To throw yeah. from the stands at a player and actually get your target, I mean, that's impressive, man. He should be playing freaking shortstop or something. I think he was taking a corner, though, wasn't he? <laughs> Even so, though, I mean, I mean, a, a bottle, I mean, did it have liquid in it? Do we know? It did have liquid in it. Because if it's, if it's full, that's one thing, but if it's half full, the way the water, the ballast, moves in the bottle, right? That bottle's not going to have a true trajectory delivery. You don't think there's any coincidence to the fact that he actually... <laughs> I think it's sheer fluke. I think he's just unlucky. He's like being hit by lightning twice. Really unlucky. <laughs> unlucky yeah. Payet. He might have the worst haircut in soccer at the moment. His, uh, his hairstyle, he's got like the, the man buns that are like... Um... Princess Leia? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But they're on top of his head, not on the side of his head. <laughs> anyway, who, who am I to criticize hairstyles? They'd be people in glass houses, you know? Right? If, yeah. If what you say. Yeah. Before yeah. you have a go at buns. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's not a, it's, it's like a pony bun. It's like, and you, Sergio Aguero has made this cool. Okay. This is why I've kept it. I, Sergio Aguero is probably the, uh, my new Instagram style icon. And I, I'm waiting to see how long before he cuts his hair and removes it because. Well, you look more Portuguese with it too. That's it. You just got to change your last name to Ferreira, not Felix. Doesn't work either. Well, who, who was it called you a barista in the last podcast? I wasn't there. Who was that? Dickio. Bang on! You are, you are such a barista right now. Yeah, he said that I, I look like I should be serving up a caramel macchiato. Well, yeah, but he actually used that word. Yeah, that's surprising. I know he's a bit more cultured than we think. He just make he makes it up though. He makes it makes words up. <laughs> yeah, brilliantly well. 
It's also he, yeah, brilliantly well. He makes words up that you actually understand. <laughs> it's shocking. <laughs> Depending on his accent, if you can solve his accent. Stay on the continent here because uh, Barcelona look like a team that people understand again. As Xavi has taken charge, he won the Catalan Derby. And he's got a team that's uh, going to be built around the philosophy. Philosophy first, for sure. Um, they don't have the money to be buying stars as they have in the past. So might as well blood through the academy uh, and focus on the academy for years to come. He had two 17-year-olds in the squad. And it wasn't the most exciting game. It was 1-0, but it was it's the most Barcelona that they've looked in three years, I would say. It looked familiar. Yeah, I didn't watch the game. Um, what's familiar is seeing Xavi, though, at, at Camp Nou. I mean, it's, it's great. And I hope he does a great job there because no one in this world dislikes Xavi. And he brings that. Ron Koeman, I know he was a great Barcelona player, but something about him didn't cut Barcelona, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Whereas Xavi does. He's, maybe it's a tight pants. It could be that. It could be as simple as that. <laughs> Are you surprised with how these, these managers dress, by the way? That's, that's going to be my point. Uh, Javi, I wondered if, more and more casual, right? I wondered if Xavi was going to be you know, suited and booted, if he was going to go a la Pep. Um, he'd been a bit more casual in Qatar, but it was also 50 degrees at night. So, yeah. you know, polo shirt and uh, polo shirt and chinos just kind of worked. But the thing about football management is anything works because you have the, the tracksuit brigade and you've got the suit brigade, right? The two extremes in life, as far as fashion is concerned, the tracky or the suited. And then anything in between, I guess, is acceptable. I like Pep's look. He's got that, you know, it's yeah. not suit. It's not tracksuit. He's got some fashion sense. Yeah. Are you, would you be a tracky coach or would you be a fashion coach, Craig? Well, <laughs> I would have to have somebody else dress me. <laughs> Much like you did for 20 years at Sportsnet. Yeah. It, but that's right. I, I, no, I can see you wearing a tracky and wearing a hat. You're like Klopp. I can see you pulling the Klopp. No. You, you pulled that off pretty well. No. No? As you're wearing a hat and glasses right now, <laughs> like your, hat's, your hat says Klopp. And a tracksuit. Your up. glasses say, I stayed up for nine hours. You got to get your teeth done so they're freaking really, really white. I think actually Klopp might have had them toned down. They don't look so. Anyway, I guess after, I guess after a certain number of coffees, they get toned down naturally, right? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Just filter coffee through them for a while. <laughs> You're comparing them to Roberto Firmino's teeth and Felipe Coutinho's teeth. There's actually a great uh, yeah. seven-minute story on the dentist that saved Liverpool's teeth, um, and how I think it was. It was a Coutinho that went there first. I think Coutinho was, was the first one and his teeth were just incredible. And then they all followed suit. But that Firmino actually has, it's, you, there's not a whiter shade that you can buy at the dentist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has absolutely the whitest. They're interchangeable. Klopp uses the same ones. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, could it be tactical? I mean, for Firmino, his, his goal scoring went up the minute he got his teeth done. Could it be that you're kind of blinding the goalkeeper? when you flash those teeth, and that's why he did it. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's just when you run off after scoring, you're more confident to, to smile. Smile. As yeah. opposed to, uh, yeah. I don't want to show my teeth. My mouth. I don't want to show my picket teeth. <laughs> that's it. And for me, it was a you know, happy, smiley Brazilian. He smiled a lot at Hoffenheim with his braces and his big yellow mm -hmm. teeth, and now he's got the best teeth in all of soccer. All of Brazil. Probably getting better. <laughs> like he's improving himself bit by bit, right? He gets his teeth done. He gets his eyes done. What's next? It's got to be a facelift, right? Well, he's had his the transplant. The club? Oh, yeah. He's had a little tidy up there. You think so? Oh, yeah. Really? He wears a hat, though. It's hard to tell. Yeah, I didn't think he... Are you, are you looking at the modeling photos of him? <laughs> By the time you listen to this, I'll have posted it. But there's a, there's a model for some American fashion brand who looks exactly like Jurgen Klopp. Really? Well, for this, for this particular topic, I, I think let's just assume that Craig's right. It, just, it works better. So, yes, now he's got his teeth done, his eyes done, he's got his hair done. You know, maybe he's got abs now. Maybe he's got like arse implants. I don't know. He's, he's improving himself <laughs> bit by bit. He's the new Kim Kardashian of football. Could you imagine? <laughs> hey, he's got a tight track, tight track bottoms on. He's got these implant asses. <laughs> yeah. Kim Kardashian looking like, oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be just different class. Isn't Liverpool the center of cosmetic uh, enhancements in the UK? Fuck, I doubt Are it. They? I don't know. Are they the Venezuela of uh, England? I don't. Liverpool, no, Liverpool leads the league in tanning salons per capita. There's the most tanning salons. It's like the vanity capital. It's the vanity capital of the British Isles. Oh, I believe that. Really? Didn't know that. I could see the sunbathe, uh, the, the sun uh, tan beds. I could see that because they don't believe in skin cancer or anything like that. No. Not <laughs> up there. 
I can't believe we've got towards the what will be the end of the show, but I've not spoken about um, Steven Gerrard much. I think I referenced his debut quickly. Um, oh, yes, you did. M- many people believe that he will be the next Liverpool boss, um, as do I. That won't be anytime soon because he's going to lead Villa to the Champions League. I wonder if Xabi Alonso is the next Liverpool boss, actually. You know, he's doing a nice job right now, isn't he? Um, CVG, though. Hey, listen, great way to start. Dean Smith, too, by the way. Great way to start at Norwich as well, both with wins. Uh-huh. And uh, just seeing Stevie G on the sidelines where he celebrated those goals. Um, yeah, it's a great fit for both player, both player, both players and manager, I think. Uh, I, I like that. It looks kind of natural to see Stevie G at Villa Park, actually, I think. It's a good job for him. It's a good job. It's a big step for him, for sure. A lot of pressure. It's a really good step for him. And reading about kind of just his hesitancy in, in taking the Rangers job, or I shouldn't say hesitancy, but he got offered quite a few gigs rather early i think he was still in la and there was some team that had had offered him a coaching job and he said i'm not ready and he went to the academy at, at, at liverpool and he started younger than the 18s and then they gave him the the 18 job and he was there for a few years right before taking the rangers job mm-hmm. learning from club. some of the conversations about what happened at rangers when he showed up uh, reminded me of the conversations we've had with john herdman about kind of professionalizing that outfit for canada and how in ways you know he brought a premier league professionalization to the rangers setup and the rangers camp and he just seems like a a, a a player as we know he was an incredible player as a manager he's really put that same level of work in as a manager and i don't think that you know we've seen that with some other guys um that's probably the biggest criticism of zidane i think um to to put that same level into the other side of the of the coin so i think it's a, it's a great situation for him and i i think that uh, i think that he'll bring some success i don't know if he'll be kicking on for europe just yet but i think he'll bring some success when i mentioned earlier about the whole carrick press conference today mm-hmm. this must be of great grave concern to united fans i just saw um a, um on twitter one of his quotes has popped up so during this press conference uh, michael carrick says me and Oli have very similar beliefs tactically. Oh, that's not good. Why would you say that? I was reading last night. What are the worst? What are the worst things that Michael Carrick could say in this press conference? And they were centering it around. You know, oh, do you want the full time job? Are you ready for the full time job? Oli was the interim, and then they gave him the full time job. Is that what you want? And they were kind of debating how his answer could really blow up in his face. Um, I think he just did it there by by saying we have the same, so. same tactical views. But also, the Carrick is an interesting choice because he's been part of two failed regimes. Hmm. Yeah. You know, high-profile name and obviously someone who knows the club very well, kind of on brand, I guess, for this interim tag. And with Ryan Giggs not available, you know, that's a person I think that they would have looked to bring in that would have been on suit. Michael Carrick's kind of like 2.0, the next next best choice, and he was already there. Yeah. But Maybe. two failed regimes. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Giggs's reputation too behind like isn't great, you know, hurts him. Yeah, I don't think Giggs is getting another shout. Shout not not for oh, a while no, anyway. I think he's, uh, no, no Michael way. Carrick's very well respected. Uh, not to mention how uh, without Giggs they're playing actually a much more expansive style of football right now as well. So Giggs is not enjoying a good 2021. Put it that way. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, well, we have. Uh, as Footy Prime, we've enjoyed a pretty good uh, 2021. Thanks to everyone who's been listening to us in record numbers and uh, as we put out two shows a week. And thanks to our guest, James Sharman, today for coming on <laughs> and uh, joining us on the weekend recap, buddy. Well, thanks for having me, boys. I mean, it's kind of been a big deal for me. I've heard a lot about this podcast and now to actually, you know, appear on it. Um, whew, wow, that's a career high. Thanks. Yeah. Well, usually Craig and I go through an hour and 10 minutes in every single game, and I think we skipped seven games. I don't think we didn't even talk about his beloved West Ham. And we, oh, we don't want to talk about them. We don't want to talk well, about I'm ha- that. I'm happy to uh, ruin the lineup. I'm good at ruining rundowns. So uh, as you'll find out in the next podcast on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever we record it. Well, there is no rundown. I did wonder what it would be like hosting. Would, would you be like a wonger and, you know, just throwing us down different roads? I don't think you mentioned dicks once. So. Nope. There's nope, a way. A lot more class than Wonger. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's no alcohol involved right now. Yeah, that's a big part of it too. <laughs> that is true. It's a morning, morning podcast. My brain works a lot better actually in the morning. There's no doubt about it. You said you think Xabi Alonso would be the next one because he's doing so well. Where's Xabi Alonso managing? Well, I think I know that. Come on. Xabi Alonso, the, uh, the, the, maybe he's the greatest defensive midfielder to ever play uh, at Anfield for many years. Won, uh, won many a trophy. If not, the actual championship itself. He did very, very good. Um, he is, as I keep searching on Wikipedia here. <laughs> I know what it is. Um, and I, actually thought, yeah, <laughs> I actually, you know, when you said that, I thought, does Sharms think he has the real, the, the big job? 
that he's he's oh. top of the table, Real Sociedad. No, no, he's doing a good job though, apparently. So should that be. And actually, the picture, weird enough, the picture on um, Wikipedia of Xavi looks just like Steven Gerrard. That's crazy. Look it up on Wikipedia, Xavi Alonso. It's nuts. It's Steven Gerrard. I did tweet that uh, Xavi looks like a friend of the show, Sid Sixero. That got a lot of reaction. He does. He does. If you put on another 50 pounds, it would be Sid. <laughs> <laughs> they have the same coat. They have the same like morning television coat. That's what I was surprised by with Xavi on the touchline. Okay. Four minute goodbyes. This is great. Uh, we'll do it again midweek, boys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to uh, quote our guest and my good friend, James Sharman. Cheers for listening. 